Welcome back to Work Life Harmonized. Today's special guest, very special guest, is someone I have just finished her book, author extraordinaire, freelance writer, speaker, podcast co-host of the only one in the room, Laura Cathcart Robbins. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Aloha A, welcome to you. So you are the writer of Stash. It is all that there is about your story of recovery and thriving, surviving, then thriving. And when I read the book, I thought I have to have her on my show. And then I started to look for the patterns and similarities of women like yourself and myself and what we go through when it comes to extreme life, I'll call it, and things like postpartum depression. So I want to talk about your book, your journey, and what you've been through. So over to you, Laura. Welcome to our show. Our listeners are going to love learning from you. Uh, thank thank you so much for having me. And I was just thanking you for, for allowing me the time to be sick last week because I um, had avoided COVID. Uh, I had avoided COVID and I got it last week and I was steamrolled by it. Um, and at the same time, you know, I was really grateful that I had time to rest and recuperate, that I'm at a place in my life where I didn't have, there wasn't anybody I was letting down by being sick, which would not have been the case for me when my children were little. I would always feel sick and then guilty for feeling sick because I couldn't be the mom that I wanted to be. And, and you know, I don't have that, that many outside of my house obligations at this point in my life. So um, but I, I did have your podcast scheduled and I want it to be on. So I appreciate the rain check, um, as it were, and, and just appreciate you having me on, on your show is such an important theme. Yeah, absolutely. It's Looking completely about. our pleasure and women allowed to be sick is a hot topic on this show. Yeah. And all those commercials around, you know, get the NyQuil because then you won't be sick because you can't afford to be in all the guilt-ridden bullshit. So, yeah, mm -hmm. let's let's give you grace. I'm sorry you had COVID. I've had it twice in three years, and it's nasty. So we're glad yeah. you're okay. You you look you. good. You look like you Thank feel you. well. So <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay, great, yeah. great. So 2008 was mm -hmm. an important year for you. Why don't you start us there? What what was going on in general without giving the whole book away? Uh, 2008 was uh, by far, um, there's no contest, the hardest year of my life. And uh, at the beginning of that year, I had a medical emergency and then asked for a divorce. Um, it became a high stakes divorce because of the profile that we held as a couple and our community. Uh, we had two children. We had two children that were little then that are grown men now. I was I was in a leadership position at their school community. I was the parent association president and had just been asked to join the board of trustees, where I actually still sit to this day. Um, and it, I, the background of all this was I was uh, battling and lo losing a battle with a, an addiction. Um, to Ambien and Ambien, which I would boost, that's what they called it in treatment. That was a term I learned there with alcohol. So I would, you know, take the Ambien and wash it down with booze to give it the kick that it needed to get me where I needed to go. And by the end, before I checked myself into treatment that year, I was taking lethal doses of Ambien and washing them down with alcohol on a nightly basis. 
So that's kind of what the beginning of that year looked like for me. Well, it certainly makes sense with chapters like Circling the Drain, Rock Bottom, Ice Woman Melteth, and Four Women and a Mocktail, where things actually start to get better, uh, again, without giving the whole book away. Dear, dear work-life harmonizers, I want you to get this book. I have to tell you, I've had many authors on this show, and as most of you know, I'm uh, about to be a second-time author. My first book, Stop Settling, Settle Smart, was more of a memoir, and I talk about my own issue with postpartum depression and a suicide attempt. I always tell my readers, pages 97 to 99, hold on, because the 16 pages I turned in, we cut to two, because no one could handle all that. It was just too much. Frankly, it was too much for me to even reread it. But 23 years later, here I am, successful, thriving, also a survivor, grown girls, 19 and 23. So there's just so much I feel like you share my heart on. I, I do want you to talk to the audience about that moment with the OBGYN, because in a way, this show, maybe a little bit like your show that you do with Scott, the only one in the room for your podcast, in a way, there's a public service announcement benefit of telling our stories and sharing them with the world and helping lift up others. So you're with the OBGYN and you're so brave. I wasn't this brave at the time because it was still very stigmatic to talk about postpartum depression for high achieving and in your case, high profile women. You know, how could you be so weak to be sick, even though one in 10 women have this, by mm -hmm. the way, ladies, so get help um, or DM us and we'll tell you how to reach Laura. You already know how to reach me. Dana.Mahina, all things, Instagram, Twitter, or X or whatever the hell he's calling it. We all know I'm not a big fan of Elon. Sorry, Elon, but not really sorry. <laughs> and LinkedIn, which is very professional. You can find me there. So you're in with the OBGYN and you have this incredibly brave moment and you say in a question format, as I read it, yeah. could it be, right? What? Tell us what happens then. Well, and and let me just say, my my OBGYN is still my OBGYN. <laughs> like I really like this guy, and and yes, he he missed this, but um, I went in there presenting like I was doing so well after my pregnancy. I look good. I, I had my hair done. I had my nails done. I also didn't feel listless. I wasn't crying. I didn't feel flat. Um, I didn't, I had never, that I, that I remember, I never had issues. I had never, um, I don't want to say struggled with depression because it's not always a struggle, but I, I, I wasn't depressed and I hadn't had any depression in my life up until that point that I know of. It's possible that, that I did, but I didn't identify anything that way. And what I was feeling didn't feel like depression to me um, at all. What I was feeling felt like hypervigilance and, and, and not hypervigilance. Like I've, I've had moms in my life who were so worried about their kids, like breathing or, you know, I can't leave them alone for a second. Like that wasn't me. Mine was hypervigilant. Like I can't sleep because they're about to wake up. And so I was always listening, like the sleep when the baby sleeps was not happening for me. And I was anxious about it to the point where I just couldn't close my eyes for any length of length of time. Um, when I did drift off, I woke up at the start, like my heart pounding out of my chest. So when I went to my OBGYN, this was in, in 1990. This, this was 1999. 
um, where there wasn't a lot of language, I never heard of postpartum anxiety, which in retrospect is what I think that I was un- not diagnosed with, but I actually had. I I ventured this forth of like, do you think this could be postpartum depression? And I didn't want him to say yes, because I didn't want to have it for all the reasons that you said. I didn't, yeah. you know, it was stigmatized. Yeah. You know, I had a group of friends. I actually just wrote an article about this, but um, I had a group of friends and we felt sorry for the people that were struggling after their kids were born. The ones that were normal were reacting normally. I'm putting that in air quotes to being a new mom, which was with excitement and enthusiasm. And sure, there are issues, but there are jokey issues. Like you talk about them with your friends and you joke about them and you have a glass of wine at the end of the day and it's fine. And I didn't want to be the exception to that. So what I presented to him, I presented in a way that I was hoping he would say no to. The questions he did ask me were those questions I just listed. Are you listless? Are you feeling flat? Are you having crying jags, feelings of hopelessness? I was experiencing none of that. So it was no, 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 no. I'm smiling. Thank goodness I don't have postpartum depression. And exit the office. Without letting him know what I was really feeling. Now, he didn't ask what what brought you to ask me this, right? He didn't say, why did you ask me about this? What feelings, what symptoms are you experiencing? He just went through a list of of symptoms that, you know, I'm sure he was trained to go through. And so when I left, I was very happy that I didn't have it, but I was also, part of me was like, "Uh uh-oh, because I'm going to have to now live with this alarm bell ringing in my head, and I don't know how to get it quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's what I did for a number of years. So many, many women experience these similar types of feelings, worries, anxieties, symptoms. Mine was eerily like yours. I had gone back to work after my firstborn daughter's in eight weeks, guilted in, back to the office, big job, still a young person, global company, more guilt. And I was pretty clear when I talked to someone else who said, well, you wouldn't want that on your record. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't want postpartum anything on your record. I thought that was real. So let's just keep these listeners informed. And for our male allies listening, if there's a woman you're with in your life or loving or next to as a neighbor who's experiencing these kinds of things that Laura is speaking to so eloquently, pay attention because most likely she's got something along those lines and it deserves attention, help and support like any other illness. I mean, we, we all are so sensitive now about COVID. We feel what people feel. We get empathy and compassion. So I'd love to see that happen with postpartum. I mean, sorry, dudes, you try to have a baby. Anyway, right? let's go back to, <laughs> then you seek attention through, if I understood your book correctly, your primary care physician. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he says, let's get you sleeping, right? Yes, he does. Okay. Yeah. So take us through what yeah. happens then a little bit, please. Um, so this is, I've, we're fast forwarding, um, at least a year from, from the visit with the, the six week, you know, post checkup, postpartum visit. Um, and I called him in tears, making an appointment. By the time I got to the appointment, I was already trying to walk that back. Like that was hyperbolic. Maybe it wasn't so bad. And 
He's, he's, he's also a very good doctor. He's not my doctor anymore, but only because he retired and, you know, he's just like, mm, no, this isn't, something's not working here. Let's get you sleeping because what you're talking about is like a breakdown, a psychotic break. But I don't know what's creating that, but certainly it can be caused by lack of sleep. So let's get you sleeping and see if that break is still happening or what's going on with you. Sure. Sounds reasonable. It, yeah, I thought so. And I didn't know if that was possible because I still had two little kids. I didn't know if I could sleep through the night, you know, but he gave me a drug that I hadn't heard of at the time. Um, and, and, and this was in 2002 ish. Um, so I, I took this drug and it was called Ambien and it, you know, that alarm bell that I talked about ringing in my head had been ringing for two years. And as soon as that pill hit my bloodstream, it went silent for the first time. Like I remember the moment and I remember the bliss of that moment and the, the additional bliss of a good night's sleep where I woke up feeling refreshed, where I didn't feel like I had a medication hangover. And I finally felt like I could be the mom that I was destined to be because, and the wife that I wanted to be, because up until that point, I've been kind of dragging myself through, you know, I was dragging, I was short tempered. I was, you know, uh, I would lose concentration, like all the things that happen when you don't sleep for days, hours, weeks on end were happening to me. And I was muscling through and now I didn't have to muscle through. And it felt great. It felt really great. And and I really honestly thought at that moment, oh, this is all I have to do for the rest of my life is take these pills and I'll be okay. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't addicted then. I'd only taken one. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, But mentally I was prepared that these were the pills that I needed to take in order to show up for my family, which is all I wanted to do. So, so I did. So you did, and yeah. here you are, and then for sake of time, I'd love to spend a whole hour and we don't have it. What happens as you realize it's now not one a day? I suppose that's the question. Yeah. When's, when, you're so amazing at recapturing moments, like a snapshot in time, which not every guest on this show can, regardless of what they come to talk about. Usually we talk about how to not balance life and how to integrate and harmonize your work and your family and your friends, your community, your own well-being and what you have to trade off to do so. But you, Laura, are just incredibly... Um, capable of memories which is why you're such a good writer mm. what Thank happened you. when you realize i have now i have a real issue yeah what, what was going on there uh, just regarding my memory um i did write everything down um in my life i journaled i i really documented most of my life up until that point um even through treatment that year so i I referred back to those notes to get those, yeah. those, those, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where I just give you the picture of what it looked like. Yeah. Vivid. Snapshots. Yeah. yeah. Snapshots. Then they're vivid. And we thank yeah. you for that. And for those of you that journal, 
you all know after listening to my show off and on or on ideally for four years i'm not a journaler it doesn't make me a bad woman so if you're a <laughs> journaler just take a note haha so yeah. honey on what Laura's <laughs> sharing because some of you are aspirational writers and what we've learned as writers is every woman has a book inside of her and it probably needs mm. to come out so if journaling's your thing look look to laura don't don't look yeah. to me okay uh, so then you're you're in trouble i suppose i'm in trouble okay yeah i i was in i was in really big trouble i was taking up to 10 ambien in any given 24-hour period and like I said, washing it down with vodka and boosting them with Benadryl when needed. Um, I was doing most of this while my kids were asleep. So I was still playing tennis. I was still working out. I was still getting my nails and hair done. I was still throwing dinner parties. I was still going shopping with the girls. Like outside, it looked pretty normal. I mean, I know I understand that is not a normal life. That is a, an extraordinary life, but the normalcy within that extraordinary life is what it looked like. And, um, you know, I, the divorce was happening and I was terrified that I was going to lose my children because I was slipping. Like I was, you know, I couldn't lie right anymore, lie correctly anymore. I would say the wrong thing, which was like, you know, where were you? I would say that I went here and then there, but it'll have been the other way around. And I won't remember that, that people knew that. So if I say I went to the grocery store and then to pick up the kids, but I'd actually picked up the kids first, that's not a big deal, right? To say that you went to, but, but I would get it backwards so much because I was lying about all of it that people were starting to go, huh? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why did you go there first? And I'm like, or didn't you just say that? And so I was getting caught in these teeny little lies um, outside of my home and inside my home, and they were beginning to snowball. And I was running out faster and faster and faster, and I couldn't get refill, so I was enduring these catastrophic withdrawals. And I, I, I didn't want to lose my kids, so I decided in July of 2008 to... Um, find and reserve a bed for myself and a treatment center. And I did. And I went. And, you know, without giving away too much of the book, it was the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, leaving my children for 30 days was absolutely the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, uh, there was one thing that was harder than that. But I'll just say that for now, but there was one thing that was harder than that. And, and I didn't think I would survive it. I didn't think I would survive the pain. And, um, what I had to come home to was bleak. You know, I was coming into then the tail end of this divorce where I stood to lose everything, including my children. And there were a bevy of unknowns. Um, I didn't know who knew. I didn't know how much anyone knew. I didn't know how I was being regarded or discussed. And, you know, I was very, like I said, I was in a leadership position. So that meant I was the topic of discussion, whether I liked it or not, whether it was good or bad. And I assumed then that it was bad and I didn't want to come home to all that. And yet I did. And that's a whole nother chapter. 
and the bleakness for women in particular listening to the show who have either considered getting help or treatment or been in and been in and out, what I will tell you is relating to that bleakness is also fear of the unknown. For me, it yeah. was getting out of the psych ward, which I thought I wouldn't survive. And technically, I should not have. I'm so fortunate to be here. And here I am 23 years later. And here's Laura 15 years later. And you know, we're here to tell you there is some light at the end of the tunnel. It, bleakness is really severe for some women, even in, let's say you're in a toxic workplace scenario. I get these calls all the time in my coaching practice at very high levels. How do I get out? How do I not get interrupted in the boardroom? How do I actually make a name for myself? For white women of privilege like myself, how do I get through the glass ceiling? For women of color, it's concrete. How do I break through that? Or do I even want to? That's more fear of the unknown, which can already stop us in our tracks. But the bleakness is heavier, just from my own experience. And you yep. had so much of that. You know, two kids, a divorce, societal pressure. I mean, it's just almost unimaginable mm -hmm. for anyone that can even relate to a piece of that. So so is is Hun, I just have to ask. Hun is the light at the end of the tunnel for me, for you. That was the point in the book where I went, oh, thank the goddess. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Can we have a hero in the story or at least a little bit because, gosh, you earned it. It's not that you deserved it. You earned it. So so Hun comes in the picture. Yeah. What, what can you say about Hun? There's a, there's a producer who... We we got kind of stopped with the writer strike, but hopefully we continue on. And they are making Stash into a series. And the reason that she wants to make this into a series is not because of the addiction. It's not because I'm a woman of color. It's not because of the high profile, high stakes marriage and or divorce. It's because of the love story. She loves the love story within it. And um, and there is one love story that is of me and my kids. Like, that's a love story. But there's also a, ro a romantic love story. And the so many people have read the book and then messaged me when they saw it. They see me post about Scott. And they're like, this is not Scott S, is it? Question mark, question mark. Oh, my God, you guys are still together. Uh it's exciting for people to see that he and I met 15 years ago in treatment, our one, um, and that we have found a way to not only not only still be together, but still be in love and, and be support and partners for each other. And I got to tell you, that man takes care of me in a way that nobody ever has in my life. Um, that's how we started out our relationship, and that's what he's continued to do. He has never faltered. Never, not once. Shout out, Scott, if you're yes. listening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for redeeming partnerships <laughs> because my listeners know, no offense to my husband, I'm on my second and final marriage and I call him the free space on my bingo card. And it's 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 got some, again, similar threads. Look, as women, we're all in a storm, but very different boats, very mm. different boats. And mm. none of us can walk a day in anybody else's shoes and pretending is super disingenuous. So we just don't do that on this show. However, yeah. redemption um, and love and support and allyship inside your own home is just, it's very, 
bright and it gives us hope, which is so hard to find when you've been yeah. through so much. And yeah, shouting out, praying for that series to come. We all can't wait to see it on Thank the screen. You. It deserves it. That deserves it. Um, you've earned everything in terms mm. of your health and your thrivingness today, Laura. You've really been through um, so many gauntlets. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. 15 years later, obviously, like you say, you're in a situation where you came out of survivalship and now you're thriving. What does it look like today for you? What are you most looking forward to? Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes, please. Um, like last night was Sunday. On Sunday nights, my two sons and their girlfriends and my mom who lives nearby and um, one of my two brothers. I have two who live nearby. I have five brothers. Um but two of them live in Los Angeles. And Scott and my bonus daughters, um, when they're in town, we all have Sunday dinner. We have Sunday dinner every week, whoever is around, but it's usually, and it's, it is the highlight of my week. I get to just sometimes just be a fly on the wall and listen to the conversation. Um, my kids are excited to get together. My One of my brothers is their age. He's my, they're, they're 23 and 25, my kids, and he's 24. And that's a long story, but he's my stepbrother. <laughs> but they are all in the same industry, kind of. And so there's just, it's music to me to hear all the, t the laughter and the talking. And I'm amazed that they all still want to come here. Like yesterday, we had the hurricane. Um, and, you know, there we got emergency alerts. It was fine. Um, but people, yeah. you know, should we drive? And my kids all made their way here because they wanna they don't want to miss a Sunday dinner. So that's like the highlight of my week. Um, the highlight of my day to day, besides hanging out with Scott and, you know, just talking to him and chopping it up with him and workshopping things with him, is writing. I'm I'm writing my second book. I'm really excited about yours. That's so exciting. I'm actually writing autofiction. I'm writing a novel for my second book. So this is a new field for me. And oh, exciting. Yeah, it was my publisher's suggestion. Um, it was a request. So, you know, I, I figure, like I said, I my decks are kind of clear in my life. I can devote time to learning a, a new area of craft and so that's what I did. I took a few classes and um, read a bunch of stuff and then jumped in. I think it's good. I've been sending off the pages to my agent and she's really excited. So, um, but that, that just gives me joy that I can write um, and I can kind of clear my day for writing. It's, I, Stash was the about the hardest year of my life. It was at times really painful things that I wrote about, but I had so much fun writing it. I loved writing Isn't that it. a trip? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's like, <laughs> and I couldn't have, I wouldn't have had fun if it were too close to the event for me because I would have re-traumatized myself. Yes. But yes. I was far enough away that I didn't risk that. Yeah. And so I just had fun. Re it was like researching someone else almost almost and and looking through all my day planners and you know seeing what matched and putting puzzle pieces together and then like oh I can write this scene now I know exactly what happened that day and 
so I'm having a lot of fun writing and just really grateful for, you know, the ability to be able to use my feet and to chew. And like, I'm aware of all these things that I have gratitude for my body works. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I have two birthdays in August. I have my soberversary where I turned 15. I turned 59 um, in less than a week. And so the 59 wouldn't be possible without the 15 for me. And I, so I'm just so grateful that these things, that I, I have that ability, that I, I have this privilege, um, which looks different than the privilege I dreamed about when I was growing up, right? I wanted a different, more material privilege. And what I have is a more spiritual and emotional privilege, gratitude. You have come full circle from everything you've been through. And yet here you are teaching. And I don't usually do this on this show. This is an inside out to my life. My best friend back in Milwaukee, shout out Tam, now Moana, who was given a Hawaiian name, which is rare, uh, where I grew up. She gave me this book called This Is Your Year, Amazing at Every Age. Mm. It's a sweet little book. And I am 55. So mine says, can smell freedom from the nine to five, I will say. If she hasn't already bailed on traditional air quotes job, 55 is asking, what's next? It's being amazed at everything you know, everything you want to learn. 55 has lifelong friends ready to take on decades together, won't apologize for anything. That's right. Screw that. Women say I'm sorry way too much. Because 55 always does the right thing. That's debatable. 55 is turning <laughs> hobby into second career, never waits to say important stuff like thank you. And yes, I'd like another glass of whatever, or in my case, chocolate. And 55 is great at gratitude. 59 is a short little sweet <laughs> snippet, but I'd love to read it to you. And anyone yeah, who can relate, north of 50 for women is great. We just don't really give a shit when anybody thinks anymore. So you've got that to look forward to 20s, 30s, and 40 somethings listening. Yes. 59. This is so awesome. Okay, 59. Knows from experience that experience is the best teacher. Oh, that is true. <laughs> that is so true. Okay, I don't gonna ever give advice true. anymore. I, so I'm going um, yeah. to tell you what's coming on 60, just oh, for yes, fun, because we love foreshadowing and future-proofing on this show. Doesn't care what you... <laughs> Here it is. Doesn't care what you think anymore. And that makes 60 dangerous. 60 is confident, undeniably sexy. It means you can do whatever the hell you want as long as you don't bother the 70 or 80. <laughs> 60 <laughs> is eating well, exercising, staying sharp. 60 is making time to do all the things you said you didn't have time to do before. Reading those books, in your case, writing them, taking those trips, making those memories, sharing the stuff you thought you knew at 18, but really know now, living in the moment and making it count. 60 is happy. And that's definitely mm -hmm. my wish for you. 60 yeah, is happy. Thank you. You've really, really earned it. So your quote you shared with the show is faith isn't jumping from A to B just jumping from a tell us about that that's powerful well that's that goes back to the fear of the unknown right and so my whole life i'm always willing to jump if i know where i'm going and i take great care to set up where i'm going before i make that leap but since for the last you know 10 15 years it's become apparent to me that that's a comfort level that I can't actually afford anymore. And it's actually an illusion. 
because I I can plan all I want. It may not hold when I actually jump there. I might fall right through. So I, um, you know, I'm responsible. It's not that I don't make plans. I absolutely do. I'm responsible for things. And then my job is to let go of the results. And when there's a move to be made, if it's the next right indicated action for me to make the move, regardless of where I think I might land, getting a divorce was like that for me. It was a very challenging decision. I went back and forth a million times. But in the end, I chose the possibility of happiness for me. And that's no shade on my ex-husband. He's a wonderful man. It had nothing to do with him personally. It was the fit. It was who I was in that marriage. Who I signed up to be wasn't somebody that I could sustain. And leaving that was leaving the known into something completely unknown, you know, in my 40s with out of high school um, diploma or a college degree, not knowing what I would do to support myself if I needed to at that point, um, not knowing how I would stay in my children's lives, not knowing how I would stay sober, not knowing if I would ever find love again. And I I jumped from A and I I am where I am because of it. That is absolutely the best way to wrap this show, which is if you are a listener struggling with where the B is, start with the A, start from where you are, take a small step. And there is nothing wrong with a little bit of a safety net, net ladies. It's not that you are weak. This is part of the syndrome of overachieving, high achieving, highly functioning women. We always feel like it's a weakness to have too much safety. And if you think about safety in an anthropology, we don't have to get eaten by the lion. Like that's not what this is about. We are yeah. not in those times. Women are not just gathering. We're hunting too, y'all. That's it. So I want to thank you for your honesty. I want to thank you for your wisdom. And I want to thank you for sharing with our listeners your journey. And I know they can relate in so many ways to what you're saying and how you're saying it. And it's just a beautiful thing to have you on this show to share a little bit, just a sliver actually of who you are. There's so much more to unpack. We'd love to have you on again when your next book is coming out. Let's definitely stay connected. I would love to continue to know you and get to know you better and better. Um, what, what an honor to have you on today, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Mahalo. Mahalo Nui Loa to you. How yeah. do they find you? How do they find your book? Let's share with the listeners. Um, my website's probably the easiest way to find everything. It's laurakathcartrobbins.com. Cathcart is C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T. And Robbins with two B's and one S at the end. And there you'll find my Twitter, my X or whatever. I don't know how it's identified on there. <laughs> um, all the socials will be on there. Um, you can contact me through my website. Everything about the book, upcoming events, where I'll be. Everything's on the website. And and if you have a book club, I will come to your book club. I'm going to like three this week virtually. So um, if you've read Stash and you want to bring me in, just go to my website. There's a tab where you can book me. 
That is such an opportunity. Yeah. Grab that opportunity. That is not an everyday thing. Believe me, I know as a fellow author, that is not an everyday offer. So take her up on that. Keep us posted how you're doing. We will be following you, shouting you out, supporting you. We're so, so grateful. Guests of the future, just know Laura did such a great job today. Please listen to this show as a formula for how to bring it and really be your true authentic self, which this show is all about. Please continue to find us wherever you find your podcast. Subscribe, listen, share. And as always, until the next time we say a hooey ho. Et pour aller